0: Exodus chapter 20. As we are continuing through the book of Exodus, in particular this summer, we're spending time in the Ten Commandments. If we can bring those house lights up, Roger, just a little bit more, that would be great. Well, many of you know that I love to go to Chick-fil-A every time I'm in Denver. And there's a certain person up in the balcony that likes to go to Chick-fil-A too. And uh, he told me a funny story uh, the past couple weeks. And I we were at Vacation Bible School and another family that likes to go to Chick-fil-A a lot. Where they, they, they went into Chick-fil-A all excited to go and they got into the parking lot and they got through the drive-thru and realized there was nobody there. And they had forgotten they went there on a Sunday. And obviously when you go to Chick-fil-A, it's closed on Sunday. And so, you know, it was a little funny story. It's happened to me before one time. You're traveling and you, you go to Chick-fil-A and it's closed on Sunday. But I don't know if you know this, but a few weeks ago a, a report came out that Chick-fil-A is now the third largest restaurant chain in America behind McDonald's and Starbucks, Chick-fil-A. Now, last year, it did $10.46 billion in sales. 2018 was where it jumped, okay? So these are the restaurant chains it jumped from. It went from seventh place to third place. So here's here's who it jumped ahead of. It jumped ahead of Wendy's, Burger King, Taco Bell, and Subway. And now is number three on the list of the largest restaurants, fast food in America. Now, here's what's so amazing. Chick-fil-A has brought in more money by sales being open six days a week than the others bring in seven days a week being open. You think about that for a moment. A conventional wisdom business plan would say what? you got to be open every day in order to make a profit. They are closed one day a week on Sunday because their owners are strong Christians and they want their employees to go to church on Sunday. They are the third largest chain being closed one day for business, whereas the rest of them are open all seven days. It's interesting what God does to bless a company or an industry that takes the lord's day seriously now we come to the fourth commandment which is an interesting commandment let's just do a little bit of review on the commandments because we've done one two three here's four and so first commandment the first commandment asks the question am i worshiping the right god do i have god right am i am i worshiping the right god or am i worshiping an idol that's the first commandment Second commandment says, okay, if I've got the right God, am I worshiping the right God in the right way? Am I worshiping God the right way? Okay. Last week, we looked at the third commandment. Do I have the right attitude when I worship the right God, especially when it comes to His name? Do I take the Lord's name in vain? Now we come to the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment basically asks this question Am I worshiping the right God in the right way, with the right attitude, with the right use of my time on the day He set aside for me to worship Him? So let's read together Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. On the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, for this morning, because this is a confusing commandment, the fourth commandment's a little confusing. I want to ask three questions related to the Sabbath. What's this all about? So, here's question number one: the first question. What's the importance of keeping the Sabbath? Now. You may notice that this is the longest commandment. Out of all the Ten Commandments, it's the longest, and it's referred to more than any other commandment in the Old Testament. You go back and you read the Old Old Testament, they refer more to the Sabbath than any of the other nine of the Ten Commandments. So it's the longest and it's the most referred to. So let's just attempt to answer the importance of what the Sabbath was for ancient Israel as we look at these issues. And so first, what's the foundation for the Sabbath? Under this big category, why is it important? What's the foundation? Well, you have to go to the very end of the command to find out the foundation. You have to work backwards. So look at verse 11. God gives the foundation. God God roots why we celebrate the Sabbath. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It goes all the way back to creation. That's the foundation for the Sabbath. It goes back to creation. Okay, so in Genesis 1, verse 31 into chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, here's what it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, at the end of creation, God saw that it was very good. He rejoiced in what he had created. And God rested because he was tired, right? Now, why did God rest? Is it because God was so tired after all the work he had done in creating that he had to just take a break? No, God was not tired. God was setting forth a template God was setting forth an example. God was giving us a prototype of how we are to live our lives by giving us an example of a seventh day or a Sabbath day rest. Now, have you ever wondered how we got a seven-day week? Do you look at astronomy or look at the sun, moon, and stars to determine a seven-day week? What's a 24-hour day? How do we how do we calculate a 24-hour day? Those of you that are science people. It's what? The Earth's rotation on its axis around the sun, 24 hours. Okay, that you can look at that from from the cosmos, from, from space, and and look at that. Okay, how do you get a month? There's a lunar calendar, right? Full moon to full moon. How do you get a year? 365 days, what? The full rotation, right? It's the, the, the full revolution of the earth around the sun. So the month, the day, the year all come from the solar system. The week, though, does not. So pagans don't just look up at the lunar calendar and set their calendars based upon what they see in the solar system. God gives us a seven-day week with one day to rest as a unique part of his revelation to us. You can't just observe that by looking at the sun, moon, and stars. God gives it to us as a model of how we are to rest on that seventh day. It's a unique thing that God does. It gives us a prototype. So that's the foundation. The foundation of a Sabbath goes all the way back to creation, where God created on six days, and then he rested on the seventh. Not because he was tired, but because he was giving us an example. He was, he was setting forth a prototype, a template for how we are to live our lives. Well, what's the meaning of the Sabbath? What does the word Sabbath mean? Very simple. It means to rest, to stop working. It's it's very explicit there in the the Scriptures. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Okay, it's pretty clear. Sabbath means rest, no work. Okay, what was the reason for the Sabbath? What was the reason for the Sabbath? I'm going to use two words here they are going to show up all throughout this sermon. The Sabbath was a day for resting and rejoicing. It's a day for resting and rejoicing. Okay. Resting from work, stopping your work, resting. But also, for Israel, it was a day of rejoicing. Okay. On the Sabbath, the Lord called them to gather together as the people of God to worship, to rejoice. In Leviticus 23.3, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Okay, there's the rest. A holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. It was a holy convocation. Not only a day of rest, but a holy convocation. That means it was a day to gather for worship to be together as God's people, to celebrate what God had done. Now, why did God call them to to celebrate? Well, Deuteronomy tells us why they were called to rejoice, why they were called to celebrate, why they were to gather together. Deuteronomy 5.12, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a day for them to remember how God had delivered them from Egyptian slavery, how God had taken them out of captivity and brought them freedom. So for the Israelites, the Sabbath was a day to rest, to stop from working, and to rejoice, to celebrate being released from Egyptian slavery. So that was the Old Testament pattern, going all the way back to creation. Six days you work, one day you rest, and you rejoice. Now, I want to give you an example in the Bible of how the Israelites broke the Sabbath. So I need you to jump out of Exodus and turn to the book of Nehemiah. And you may need to use your table of contents to find out where Nehemiah is. It's before Esther, if that helps you. Nehemiah chapter 13. It's on page 517 in my Bible. I'm not sure what page it is on yours or in your electronic device. Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah was the leader that helped the nation of Israel rebuild the wall when they came back. And the wall has been rebuilt and the people are reestablished back in Jerusalem. So let's pick up in verse 15. So Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. And this is Nehemiah speaking first person. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you're doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut, gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem... once or twice but I warned them and said to them why do you lodge outside the wall if you do so again I will lay hands on you and that's not a healing service (laughs) I will lay hands on you Nehemiah says if you come in here and profane the Sabbath we're going to have not just words but we're going to have fisticuffs we're going to lay hands on you from that time on they did not come on the Sabbath Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day. Remember this also in my favor of God and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Here's what's going on in Israel. Why were they tempted to break the Sabbath? Did you notice another group of people that were there with them in Jerusalem? The Tyrians, T-Y-R-I-A-N, it's the Tyrians. The Tyrians were a pagan Gentile group of people that were also living in Jerusalem and they were breaking the Sabbath. And Israel was the only nation in that time and place who had a Sabbath. So they probably thought to themselves, what's the big big deal about one day? What's the big deal? All the nations around us are selling on the Sabbath. All the nations around us are doing work on the Sabbath. God doesn't really care that much. It's just one day. Here's what was going on. They were doing what I call cultural relativism. Now, what is cultural relativism? Cultural relativism says, I'm going to mimic and adopt the practices of the people around me and just kind of adopt what they do, even if it's in conflict with God's word, because fitting into the culture is more important than obeying God. So I think what Israel was thinking to themselves was, I need to fit into the culture. The culture's doing it. The culture's buying and selling. It's just one day. It's not that big deal to God. We'll just kind of give in. And what does Nehemiah say? You're profaning the Sabbath so much so that I'm going to bolt the door and I'm going to keep these people out, and if they try to get over, I'm going to lay hands on them. (laughs) It's that, that big of an issue. So they were buying into the lie that they could just adopt the practices of the nations around them. They did not need to be distinct as Israel. God gave Israel a Sabbath to be distinct from all the nations around them. One day out of seven to set aside to rest and to rejoice in God. Okay? Now, that's Old Testament. That's Nehemiah. That's Exodus. That's Sabbath. Let's ask the big question number two, which is the important question, the confusing question. Question number two. Are we supposed to keep the Sabbath today? And here's my tricky answer, okay? Yes. we're supposed to keep the Sabbath but we need to understand how the Lord Jesus transformed the Sabbath into Sunday okay how did Jesus transform the Sabbath into the Lord's day Old Testament Sabbath is on a Saturday why aren't we worshiping on Saturday why are we here on Sunday Why is the church for the past 2,000 years worshiped on a Sunday and not a Saturday? It's because Jesus transformed the Sabbath into the Lord's Day. Now, we still obey it, but we obey it in the way Jesus transformed it. So something cataclysmic, something major happened on a Sunday, right? What happened on a Sunday? Jesus did what? He rose from the grave. Okay, so let's just look at these passages of Scripture. Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the others went to the tomb. They went there on the first day of the week to the empty tomb. Luke 24, 1-3. through On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So Matthew Luke, what does John say? John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. All the gospels teach Jesus rose from the grave on what day? Sunday. Early church. What was the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was a Sunday. Acts 2, 1 When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. If you go back to Leviticus 23, you will find out that the day of Pentecost is the day after the Sabbath. So what day are they gathering when the church is birthed with Pentecost? Sunday. Okay? Now, how did the early church begin to practice worship? So the early church begins to move from Saturday to Sunday because of the resurrection, because of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. On the first day of the week, they're gathered there. Paul's preaching. They're celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's the first day of the week. The early church in Acts begins to shift the day of worship to Sunday. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you're also to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. On the first day of the week, when you gather for church, take an offering. Okay. So Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday Pentecost happened on a Sunday. Paul gathered the early church and preached sermons on Sunday. Paul says, when you gather on Sunday, take up an offering. And then John the Apostle, when he's on the island of Patmos, he's by himself. He's there on a Sunday when he receives the revelation. Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. By the time we get to John, the last apostle... It's no longer called the Sabbath. It's called the Lord's Day. So why do we as Christians worship on Sunday the Lord's Day and not Saturday the Sabbath? Because Jesus transformed it. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. Pentecost happened on a Sunday. The early church worshiped on Sunday. And then you can look at church history. It's just how it's been because Jesus, as Lord of Lords, transformed the sabbath so are we still supposed to keep the sabbath today yes in a sense that we understand that it's the lord's day sunday morning that we're to rest and rejoice so third question practical question this morning so the first question what's the importance of the sabbath we'll go back and look at that in exodus and leviticus and and we look at nehemiah okay are we supposed to observe it today yes in the sense that it's the lord's day it's sunday so here's the practical question question number three how, how are we, to, are we supposed to faithfully observe the Lord's Day? How are we to do it today? Okay? We're not under the Old Testament, so how are we supposed to do it today? Well, let's talk about these two truths that we've been talking about so far. It's a day for what? Resting and rejoicing. Let's, let's look at the first. How do we celebrate Sunday today? First of all, the Lord's Day is a day for Rest. It's a day for rest. Mark 2 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's given the Sabbath to you for you, for yours and mine's benefit. Now, we don't want to be legalistic here, but we also don't want to avoid the fact that we just treat Sunday like any other day of the week. We can be guilty of turning into what God says is a holy, sacred day into just any other day of the week, and we can be prone to materialism and workaholism, and we need to be careful that we don't make absolute statements about Sunday, and we guard against some legalism here. So let's ask some questions. Okay, what about sports? Is it a sin for you this afternoon to go play football in your backyard after church? Is it a sin for you to go play video games or to you to go out to eat or you to go to Walmart? I broke the Sabbath this morning technically because I had to go to Walmart and buy something for lunch. Am I breaking the Sabbath by going to Walmart on a Sunday? Okay, we, need to be legal, we, we don't want to give in to legalism and say, overall, it's a day of rest. But the general principle is, is, that, is that we want to just set it aside for God okay, what about works of necessity? In this town, that's a big deal. What happens if you work at the prison and you can't be here on Sunday morning? Or what happens if you work in, in the health industry or you work at any job that requires you to have to be out of church on Sunday? How do you deal with that? Are you, quote-unquote, breaking the Sabbath if you have to work? Jesus said in Luke fourteen five. Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Okay, so if you're, you're walking by and your son falls in a well, it's a Sabbath day. We better leave him there until the next day. He could drown because i I really I can't go in there and help him. Okay, sometimes you have to do works of necessity in order to save a life, provide for your family. This is this, this gets to be a very difficult, touchy su- subject, okay? So what's my pastoral encouragement to you if you have to work on Sunday? I mean, I can stand up here and say, get another job. That's, that's really kind. What I would say is this. If at all possible, the first thing I would do is ask if you could get a shift if you have to work on Sunday that at least allows you to have Sunday morning free and then maybe go in at 1230 or 1. Okay. Or pray about the possibility of switching shifts. Here's the general principle. This, this is what I would say to you. You're not sinning if you work on Sundays, but I would say this. If there's any way possible, by God's grace, that you could have another job, pray diligently for that because you don't want to get into a lifelong habit of missing out on church. If you're in a pattern where you're missing Sunday mornings for long periods of time and you're being out of fellowship with God's people, that is not a good situation. So in general, it's a day of rest. Because here's the point. We just need to stop and recharge. Do you guys realize how ragged our culture makes you run in a week? Some of you guys tell me your weekly schedule and I just get exhausted hearing about it because I know how exhausting my schedule is. You sometimes just need a day off to rest. Let me give you two books that are very helpful. Okay, one's for men and one's for women. They're written by a husband and wife. If you have a hectic lifestyle where you're running ragged and, and you're, you're just going crazy, you're a workaholic, you have a hard time taking a day off, the first one is by David Murray. It's called Reset. Reset. Living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. Reset. You can find this on Amazon. Living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture reset. The second book is for women. It's written by his wife. It's called Refresh. Refresh. Embracing a grace-paced life in a world of endless demands. It's written to busy-do-it-all women, offering practical advice for women. So in general, the Lord's day is a day for resting from work, if at all possible. But number two The Lord's day is for rejoicing together as the gathered church. Question to ask you and your family. How do you view Sunday mornings? There's two ways you can view Sunday morning. We get to go to church. That's one way. Or I have to squeeze church into my schedule. See the two attitudes towards Sunday morning? I get to go to church, or i got to squeeze it into my schedule. So let me give you some suggestions on how you can approach Sunday morning. This is a repeat of a sermon I did back when we talked about Exodus 16. So if you've heard this before, it's like Sean's repeating himself, Yes, I am, because we need to hear it again. Okay? So three things to think about. First, how are you Preparing for the Lord's day. How are you getting ready Monday through Saturday for this day? I'm afraid in our culture, everybody's working for the weekend. That by the time Sunday morning comes around, you are so fried that you're dragging yourself into church because you've done so much stuff on Friday and Saturday. How are you preparing yourself and your family for Sunday morning? How are you preparing Saturday night? How are you getting in a frame of mind when you come into this place? Are are you prayerful? Are you prepared? Are you ready to engage? It takes some preparation to be ready for Sunday morning. Okay. Second, how are you participating on the Lord's Day? So when you get here, you've made preparations before you get here. Once you get here, how are you participating? How are you engaging? How are you worshiping? I read this earlier, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you are here, are you fully engaged? Is your mind prepared to sing? Are you engaged and ready to hear the sermon? Are you, are you ready to, to hear from God? Are you, are, are you so frazzled from the weekend that you come in here and th- that you're just kind of going through the motions? Are, are you preparing? Are you participating? And then, third, how are your priorities surrounding the Lord's Day? Bill Gates said this in an interview in Time Magazine. Bill Gates, the president of Microsoft, he says, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. There's a lot more you could be doing on Sunday morning. If you wanted to be practical, if you wanted to be efficient, if you wanted to do things on your schedule, there's a lot of things you could be doing on Sunday morning. And this is where I'm going to step on toes a little bit. And I've done it before, so I'll do it again. We need to be very, very careful that we guard against the idol, and I'm going to call it an idol, of team sports and travel teams that take you out of church for extended periods of time. I'm afraid we're raising an entire generation of young people that are taught to be self-centered that the world revolves around me and my desires instead of teaching them to come and serve in a church and be part of a church family and realize the importance of their church family. Now, again, I don't want to be legalistic about this, but I am saying that it can, it could become a major obstacle in your life to fully engaging in the life of the church. So are you preparing? Are you participating And how are you prioritizing? But let's talk about the real meaning of the Sabbath. What ultimately is the meaning of the Sabbath? Is it six days and don't work? Is it a day to rest and rejoice in what God has done by gathering together? Yes, it's all those things, but here's here's the ultimate of what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath points us to rest and rejoice in the finished work of Christ. Jesus talks about the work he came to do in order to obey the will of his father. John 4.34 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came to do work. John 17.4 through 5. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus came to finish his work. What was the ultimate work he came to finish? Dying on the cross for our sins. What did he cry out on the cross? It is halfway done. It is finished. Jesus did all the work necessary to save you and me from our sins. He bought our redemption. He bought our forgiveness. He died in our place. He took all of the punishment that we deserved. And so when the New Testament speaks of a Sabbath rest, It's speaking more of a spiritual rest we receive by trusting in Christ and what He did for us. You see, you don't work for your salvation. Jesus did all the work. You rest in what Christ accomplished for you. Hebrews 4, 9-10 says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. When the writer of Hebrews uses the word Sabbath rest, it means a joyful celebration of worship in heaven. So when the Bible talks in the New Testament about a Sabbath rest awaiting us, it's talking ultimately about the rest we will receive when we get to heaven. We will ultimately rest and rejoice in Jesus when we get to heaven. It will be an ultimate rest from all of our labors. But then he also says there that those who have rested from their works. How are you saved? By resting or by working? Do you work for your salvation or do you rest in what Jesus did? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I want you to think about it this way. The Sabbath is not a day. The Sabbath is a person, Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. We rest in him. See, the Sabbath is ultimately about trust. It's ultimately about trust. Remember the Israelites and back in Exodus 16? God said, I'm going to provide for you six days, man and quail. You don't need to go out on the seventh day. What happened on the seventh day? Some people did what? They went out because they did not trust God's provision the first six days. Some of you just don't trust God enough. You feel like I've got to work all these six days because if I don't, seven days, if I don't cram in every day with things to get done, I won't get things done because I ultimately don't trust God's provision. Those of you that struggle with Sabbath, you're always worrying, you're always fretting, you're always planning, you're always plotting, you're always calendaring, you're always worrying, you're always frenzying instead of resting in what Christ has done. The Sabbath is about resting in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ and ultimately trusting in Christ to take care of you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11, 28 through 30? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest rest. For what? For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's given us just one day out of seven, the first day of the week. And God says, you can do whatever you need to do on those other six days. Work, plan, calendar, get what you need to get done. But there's one day and I'm being generous with just having one day set aside for you to rest and for you to rejoice in what Christ has done. So there are many of you here that may be laboring, working hard. Maybe you're pressed down with guilt, maybe you're pressed down with despair, maybe maybe you're just here today and and, and it's like the world is crushing in on me. I feel the squeeze. I feel the stress. I, I, I feel all of the things coming at me. My encouragement to you is just would you just stop and rest in Jesus? Find rest for your soul, rest in what He has done. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, it's an opportunity to take a breath and to rest and rejoice in what Jesus has done. So as we take the Lord's Supper, we're stopping, we're pausing from all of our activities and we're remembering what Jesus did. And as we take the elements, we're saying, Jesus, thank you that I don't have to work for my salvation. You did it all. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to rejoice in you. And I'm going to trust in you. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning in preparation for taking the Lord's Supper that we would rest and rejoice in Jesus. You're the good shepherd. You laid down your life for the sheep because you love us so much and you've finished all the work that's required for us to be saved. We don't have to do anything to earn our salvation, to merit or work for our salvation. You did it all, Jesus. We are just simply called to rest and rejoice in what you did. And for many of us, Lord, that's a hard thing to do, to rest, because we're so busy, we're so anxious, we're so overcommitted, we're so stressed out, that even when we come to church, it's not a time of rest or rejoicing, it's, more, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's pain just to get here. Lord, would you work in our hearts to help us to celebrate the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, it's a day of rest and a day of rejoicing. Ultimately, because Jesus, you are our Sabbath. It's with you that we find rest for our souls. We come to you if we're heavy load laden and, we're, and we're, we're broken down with guilt, we're broken down with sin, we're, we're burdened. We come to you and we find rest for our souls because your burden is easy. So thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being our rest. We look forward to that final day of rest when we get to heaven, the ultimate time of rest and rejoicing. And until that time, we remember you in the Lord's Supper and what you've done for us, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.